This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. New processors in the spotlight. Fujitsu, IBM, and Intel at Hot Chips. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, I was at the Hot Chips conference this week, which is always a lot of fun, seeing the presentations come out. We're particularly interested in new technologies and uh, the server technologies, although I will say right off the bat, first of all, it was a very well-attended show. This is a bigger crowd than I've seen at Hot Chips uh, than in years past. And second, they might as well have renamed it Hot Machine Learning uh, because that was it seemed like no matter which session I went into, that was the big thing everyone was keen to talk about. Yeah, it did seem like there was a lot of machine learning, but it looks like it was mostly or maybe all on the inferencing side, something we're maybe not quite as interested in because a lot of these chips are going to go into the mobile uh, device space. Uh, some might end up in servers, but it sounds like for the most part, this technology is sort of not aimed uh, at, at our little niche. Yeah, that's certainly true. And I was even disappointed that once we got into the server side, companies like Intel, talking about Cascade Lake, spent half the time talking about machine learning and made no reference at all to HPC for that chip. But we'll get to Intel later. I'd like to start with some of the other chips where we did get a little bit more information about the chips as they pertain to HPC. And some of the most interesting stuff came from Fujitsu with regard to their ARM project for Post-K. Yeah, I mean, one thing they did here is they named the chip. They, they announced the prototype a few weeks ago, but now they've named the chip and came up with a, a lot of the technical specs. Now, it's called, I guess, the A64FX, sort of keeping with the FX series that they've done before, but it's, it's ARM. Uh, they've called it A64. Yeah, and this put is an the A first, in there. <laughs> I got the A. So this is the first ARM chip that Fujitsu has built for this scalable vector extensions uh, architecture for ARM. And uh, like I said, they had a prototype going, but they released more information. Uh, one of the most uh, pertinent pieces of information for our space now and for the computer they're eventually going to build this, the post-K, is that each chip is going to supply 2.7 teraflops uh, per chip across this. And that also, also is a, that's at 64 bits. They're also going to have uh, half precision at 32 bits, 5.4 teraflops, and then even at 16 bits, 10.8 teraflops to go with some of the, the AI machine learning codes that those will be useful for. But um, a, a good, decent amount of teraflops. But for Exascale, you know, as I was writing it up in uh, for Top 500 News, not really overwhelming numbers when you're thinking about an Exascale supercomputer. You're going to need 400,000 or close to 400,000 of those chips to get to an Exaflop, uh, which is a lot of chips and that's a lot of network and nodes and everything else to build up a computer of that size. Well, Michael, I'm no longer convinced that Post-K is going to be an exascale system as much as we were always talking about it that way. Um, reading between the lines, I've heard them back, Fujitsu backing off of those claims. Going from comments, we heard 
um, during the vendor showdown session at ISC and now during the Q&A session at Hot Chips. When asked directly about Exascale each time, uh, the representative affirmed that we're looking for a system here in 2021 and that the target was 100 times the application performance of K. Now, K was, of course, a 10 petaflop system, and you go 100 times that, that would be Exascale, but they emphasized application performance, which they could certainly get without bringing the whole machine up to exaflops. Now, it might just be a question of budget, which is why they're being cagey about it, but I essentially agree with you. I don't think this is necessarily targeted as an exascale class system. Now, regardless of the flops, I think the bigger news story here was around the memory performance. They talked about each node having 32 gigabytes of HBM2 memory and memory bandwidth of over of a terabyte a second, which they right. can hit over 80% efficiency with on the uh, stream triad benchmark, which is a benchmark I always liked. I'm delighted to see uh, people using stream triad and, and talking about the memory bandwidth performance. I think this isn't a Linpack machine as much as it's an HPCG machine. Yeah, and I think actually, I I think when we talk about the the memory performance here, I think that's probably one of the ways they're going to get to that hundred x application uh, performance over the over the K machine. Uh, we all know that you know the memory bandwidth is is often the limiting factor on a lot of applications. So anything that ups that memory bandwidth can really goose the the application performance. Now. We should say these are really impressive numbers, you know, a terabyte per second. But the way they've done that is they've focused exclusively on HBM2 memory. There's there's no DDR memory in this system or, or supported by this chip at this point. And so the, the implication is DDR memory, regular main memory won't be part of the system. It'll all be on package as HBM2, just like we see in, uh, you know, the most popular GPUs, high-end GPUs of the day. Yeah, that is interesting. They're emphasizing the close-in HBM2 memory. And then, of course, the system interconnect, which is going to be the enhanced Tofu interconnect. It's basically a torus of a 3D mesh. And then the interconnects, um, they're, they're reporting are 28 gigabits per second times two lanes times 10 ports. So that's aggregate uh, 560 gigabits per second, which is really good uh, interconnect speed on this Tofu interconnect. Yeah, and it looks like they're going to need a fast interconnect because like we were talking about with the memory, um, if they are confined to HBM2, you can only put a certain amount of that onto a uh, onto a package. In this case, it looks like they're going to have four modules, which brings them to 32 gigabytes, which is a decent amount. But as servers go these days, especially high-performance servers, that's not a whole lot. I mean, you look at something like Summit, I think that's got 512 gigabytes of main memory, and that's... Uh, you know, that's not out, outlandish. It's a lot of memory, but not out, out of the range. So in a sense, it's a small amount of memory compared to the number of, of flops. So they're going to need uh, to scale this out. They're going to need a very good network. And that's part of what the Tofu 60 Mesh is about. Another thing I'd like to mention is this is a 7 nanometer FinFET process. So that's kind of out in front. Yeah, they're, they're going to 7 nanometers. I mean, that's probably pretty much on on point for a, a 2021 deployment, it, things things should line up for them uh, around that. So it's uh, it's going to be a, a fairly impressive chip, and that 
cents. It's also going to be uh, something like eight. 0.7 billion transistors, which is pretty average actually for a, a big multi-core uh, chip these days. This one actually has 48 compu cores plus four uh, assistant cores. So that's a, a lot of cores and about the number of transistors you would think with that, considering all the all the transistors that need to go around that with cache and uh, all the levels of cache and and uh, memory controllers and things of that nature. Let's go to another company we heard some new things from on the server side. That was IBM with Power9. Now, we already had Power9 out. We've talked about Summit, Sierra, uh, but they really talked about the Power9 as a family of processors and three different iterations of Power9 and what's coming up in the Power9 roadmap with the next two chips coming out in the family. Right, and the, I think the presentation at Hot Chips was mainly about their new Power9 scale-up processor. That's the one that's going into their recently announced enterprise servers, the E980 in particular, and that's for these big enterprise workloads, database processing, things that need either lots of memory or lots of threads or lots of I.O., um, not so much for the HPC space, which uh, which these these servers would be a way too way too expensive to put into a big scale out cluster. Those are the two socket servers that uh, the Power Nines uh, are specialized in, as far as the scale out version of that uh, that architecture. But this is a an interesting chip on its own. But it's going to have some technology that I think will eventually end up in the third generation of Power Nine uh, that probably will apply to HPC and, and more mainstream two socket setups. And that's, uh, one of those is, is the memory interface that they're sort of going to generalize there, uh, which is very interesting because again, this is another story about getting that memory bandwidth up, uh, to balance out the more and more compute. Yeah, you know, this was kind of a funny presentation, although in truth, I think it winds up being visionary as a statement of direction for IBM, because really they talked about two main things. One was the memory performance, which we've heard from IBM and Power before, but I think they really stressed here what they're doing in the memory roadmap in order to maintain that as an edge. And then the second thing they stressed was how we can attach things to it. They talked about not only GPUs, but all different types of accelerators under an acronym they're calling Axon, which only coincidentally makes it sound like it's good for neural networks. Right. Uh, but, but it was an acronym for different types of accelerators that they have. Um, you know, that strong message of if you have an accelerator, come talk to us about attaching it to the Power 9. It made it feel like really their vision with Power 9 is that you don't need the processor for computation. What you need it for is memory and connecting in other things which will do your computation. And that's a, you know, a funny statement of leadership that we haven't really heard. But if, if you're IBM, maybe that really is visionary that that's where you want to see this go. Well, I mean, I think this is part of their strategy. I mean, IBM's all about data centricity these days. And, you know, to get the Power 9 sort of at the center of that, it needs to be fed by these other things. Now, those yeah. could be accelerators who are doing a lot more processing, but also in the memory sense, it also needs more memory capacity and more memory bandwidth because, again, the Power 9 and certainly the Power 10s are going to be very big chips. I mean, they have a lot of compute. They've got a lot of cores. And and right now, you know, 
memory is at a premium. There's not often there's not enough capacity, often there's not enough bandwidth to feed all those cores. So I, I think the emphasis here, which was sort of different from when we they announced the two socket versions, is they need more they need a a, a more performant memory subsystem to feed this thing. And for the current version, the, the scale-up version they're talking about now, they have sort of this um, proprietary setup where they have the Centaur chip buffering and this interface on the chip side to, to feed this thing. But the interesting part to me, or the most interesting part, is what they're going to do to generalize this for the next version. They're going to make some sort of open standard that basically replaces this direct connection to DDR memory with something more generic. And they're going to be able basically to have a system that you can connect to any memory type, whether that be storage class memory or some specialized memory of some other type, as well as DDR memory, uh, to connect to processors, uh, whether it's Power9 or, or something else. And they're going to try and establish this as a new standard, a new way to do memory. Now, that helps IBM because... You know, they want to sell these processors too. And if it's just a big compute engine that, you know, is just waiting on memory all the time, that's that's no good. So they're they're sort of trying to reinvent uh, memory to a, a certain extent. And this is the way they, they seem to be going. Well, and furthermore, it's it's too close to how they would be competing on uh, on Intel's turf, right? They have to distinguish themselves from what Intel's going to do. And if they can be more of a friend to the rest of the ecosystem out there and say, look, you want to do GPUs, you want to do FPGAs, you're better off with power uh, than with an Intel architecture, then, you know, that is a good statement of direction. And I like that as a positioning statement from IBM. It really lets them focus on a more data center computing architecture. Interestingly, other than Fujitsu and IBM, the only company that mentioned HPC at all was NEC. Now, they talked about Aurora and the Subasa architecture. Um, that's not really remarkably different from what we've heard before. So let's skip ahead to Intel for a second, because as much as they talked more about machine learning, they did give a few more details on Cascade Lake. Yeah, and really just a few because they just talked about this chip at the at their data center conference uh, just a couple of weeks ago. But they did let out some more information. Now I know at the at the hot chips conference they again reiterated a lot of the stuff about machine learning, the instructions they added to do uh, inferencing much faster in Cascade Lake. But the most interesting part to me again was was the Optane. Uh, memory dims that they're going to support now in Cascade Lake, and they let a little more information out about that. One of it is that they're going to basically be able to support up to three terabytes of memory per socket now, uh, including the Optane type dims that they're going to be able to connect now. And that's that's an interesting thing because you're talking about a two-socket system that now can connect basically six terabytes of memory per per node which is a lot of memory and it's going to open theoretically open open up those servers to a lot more interesting applications all right, Michael. Hot Chips was a fantastic conference. We were trying to keep our comments to the things that were directly affecting HPC, but I'd like to get a couple of other quick hits for just a few things I saw that were interesting. We we're just talking a lot about memory, and on the new technology section, there was a, a kind of a, an organization called Nantero. They're more like ARM in that they're all a holding company that wants to license the technology out, but they had a new technology for a 
carbon nanotube based memory they were calling nram that they're making claims on now as being better capacity and better performance than drams at less uh at less cost and and still have uh outstanding reliability i think that raised quite a few eyebrows on the consumer section there was uh the uh, amd raven ridge project coming out in the ryzen apu this is a zen processor with vega graphics in an apu similar to how we might think of gpu computing but all on one package the interesting thing there is that it's one memory space cache coherent memory on the chip so you get the same memory space for both cpu and gpu if they move that into the server side i think it could be potentially interesting for hpc in particular for what it does for the programming model for gpu computing and then one last thing i'd like to mention is nvidia released its touring architecture for graphics which you know, that's mostly going to be in the game space, but they've got integrated ray tracing now right on the chip with dedicated process. The graphics are amazing. And, you know, that does move over a little bit into the HPC space in areas that use high-end graphics uh, for the HPC analysis. Yeah, those are all interesting technologies. And I think they all will, in one way or another, they'll, they'll work their way into, into HPC. Now, the nanotubes, you know, that sounds like it's somewhat experimental at this point. We'll see how that technology progresses. But, yeah, there's other products from AMD and NVIDIA. You know some of that technology is going to leak over. We talked a little bit about that at, in Top 500 and, and various articles. So we'll we'll just have to keep following that and see how that, that evolves over time. Yeah, you can get some of my other quick takes from Hot Chips and other conferences if you follow my Twitter handle, at Addison Snell. Also follow at Intersect360. But, yeah, Hot Chips, thanks a lot. That's always a cool conference, and I'll look forward to it again next year. Absolutely. All right. Thanks a lot, Michael, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.